coming soon welcome back to another episode of the black girl tea podcast it's nigh i'm the only one who'll be up here singing shit maybe me and shay could do a duet or something i don't know but anyways y'all welcome back to another episode i am recording this fresh and, and early on this beautiful monday morning this is the first time in a long time where you'll get an episode that was freshly recorded the day that it comes out. I try not to do this. I try to have it ready for you guys so that as soon as your morning starts on Monday, you're getting it. But today I needed to do a little... I had a conversation with an incredible woman over the weekend and um, I wanted to make sure I got all the details of this right. Um, this is not a help a sister out episode. This is an everybody episode. This is a help a everybody out episode. Um, and I just wanted to share this with you. I feel like a lot of the conversations that we have with the older generation, sometimes a lot of the things that they're saying kind of get like lost in translation a little bit. Um, and for the younger generation, it does sometimes become like, oh my God, they're lecturing me. But sometimes you just got to sit there and, and let the older generation talk to you. And that's something that I've been learning, um, over the last few years is that they do want to be included in the conversations that we're having but they're not up to speed with things so it can be a little draining with trying to catch them up to speed and then trying to prove a point with them but if you just be patient I promise you not only will it do you some good because the things that they have to say are very valuable but it also helps them stay up to date and they like feeling up to date they don't like not being a part of it they've been through so much and when I say the older group I'm, I'm talking about the the 55 plus people those people are incredible they've been through so much they've been able to conquer so much and it means the world to them when we come to them and we ask them questions like hey when you did this back in the day da, 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 they like that and as much as that they're not gonna say and share it with you you could see the smile on their face when you sit down and you start asking them for advice but before we get into the episode, I know we're like two minutes in already, but I need y'all, I need y'all to tell me, how you doing? What's going on, baby? How's it going? Let me hear you. I love when you guys actually send me a message about how you're doing, what's going on. Um, it makes me feel good because... It just makes me feel like you guys want me to be included in your lives outside of just being included in mine. I share a lot of personal information and personal things on this podcast. And just me sharing my stories only help me grow and it helps me be a better podcaster for you guys. For those of you that are my friends outside of this, like it helps me be a better friend. It helps you understand like, oh shit, like she's never talked to me about that before. Um, but now this makes so much sense for some of the things I've experienced with her. But I hope you all are doing well. Um, the weather's not too great today. It's like a 65 degree day, which is kind of crazy for it being summer. I'm actually very concerned as to why it's 65 degrees and not 85, but I leave it alone. But anyway, so guys, I met this amazing 62-year-old woman named Catherine a few weeks ago. Obviously, Catherine is an alias. Um, and I met her at an event. And um, I'd never seen this woman before. Ever. Nothing. I met this woman and we sat at the table together. And at the table, it was myself, her, and um, one other girl that was in my age bracket. And the remainder of the women that were at the table were 40 plus years old. And um, me and the girl that was in, closer to my age, we'd never met. I didn't meet any of the women before at this table. So, but naturally, me and this other 26-year-old woman clicked because we we understood each other's lingo. We sat down. She was like, oh, your braids look cute. And I was like, I love your hair. Like, it was a moment for us. And those women sat there and they let us, you know, have that conversation with ourselves. And then it became the, well, what do you call that hairstyle? Back in my day, we didn't have all them box braids that y'all have. And it was just a cute conversation. Um, and as the event went on, I was asked by the host of the event, to just expound on something that I had expounded on on the podcast. And when I 
was talking, the women at that table were like rooting for me. Um, they were like smiling and like, oh my God, like you sound so smart. And it wasn't like a, it wasn't like they were downplaying me in any type of way. It was literally like, girl, you are so intelligent. Like, who are we sitting at this table with? And we all just begin to like explain what we do for work and everything with each other. Um, that moment was truly the ice, icebreaker. And it wasn't supposed to be the icebreaker, actually. But that moment was the icebreaker. We all just start talking about things. And um, Catherine, along with Elaine, again, these are aliases, um, they were the two older women at the table. They both were 62 years old. They both had been, at this point, they are retired for about five-ish years. Um, and they're doing very well for themselves. They have very amazing careers. Um, and I researched these women and I'm like, oh shit, like, I'm sitting at the table with this woman? Like, <laughs> it was amazing. Um, and as the night went on, like, we started doing, you know, when you go to a black event, there's a part after you get your food where everybody busts out with the line dances and we got out there, we did what it did. Y'all know one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite line dances is the Mississippi Cha-Cha Slide, and that's the one where they be like, left foot, stomp. Right foot, stomp. You cha-cha with your left. That's my favorite line dance, and it just reminds me of my grandfather. But when I hear it on, it, I feel that bass. Right? I, I get it. It, it be feeling, I be feeling it in my chest. And I went out there with the with Catherine, and we was we was getting down, y'all. We was boogieing, <laughs> and I just in that moment I was like, this feels really good. I like this. And uh, we did a couple dances together, and we went back to the table. And she said, well, can I get you a glass of wine? I'm gonna go over to the bar, and myself and the other young lady that was my age, we were like, we're gonna go to the bar. Like, what do you guys want? And uh, the other Elaine. She smiled at me and she said, I want to do one of them shots that I see y'all doing on online. My granddaughter drinks something called Casamigos. And I was like, I like Casamigos. So she's like, yeah, get us some of those. So I'm looking at Miss Catherine like, girl, you going to take a shot? And she said, bring it to me. So me and the other young lady, we ain't got them shots. We came back with um, with the shots. And I was like, all right, like, what are we cheersing to? And they were like, you young ladies could could do it. And we were like, cheers to black girl magic. And, you know, we clanked the, the shot glass together and we hit the table. And they were like, oh, what's that? And I was like, oh, you got to hit the table with your shot. So we did it again. We talked about it and we took the shot. And it was one of those. I don't know if you guys have family from the South. But it's certain there's certain things that you hear and you know exactly what it means. And Catherine took that shot. She looked at me and she said, ooh-wee. And I just... (laughs) I just loved every moment of it. And at that point in time, I was talking... I was texting one of my friends. She was texting me to make sure, like, I was good and everything. And um, I was like, yo, I just had had an incredible moment with some aunties. And, like, I love it here. I might be an auntie very early. And we're just, you know, via text message having our little moment. And I was like, nah, this is great. We just got these women to take shots. Like, <laughs> these are 62-year-old women taking Casamigo shots. And that woman said, ooh-wee. That's how I know I was on to something good. But, you know, as the night went on and, you know, we get started winding down to get ready to leave, Catherine grabbed my hand and she said, you remind me of myself when I was around here. And I, I smiled. I said, how so? And she said, the way that you command this table was was beautiful. The way that you commanded the room when you were talking, it was beautiful. And she asked me, you know, do you have a mentor? I said, yes, I do. And she said, okay. You go to therapy? I said, yes, I do. She said, okay. Do you go to church? I said, not as often as I should, but I do go. But I do pray every day. She said, all right, you got a relationship with God. That's all that I can ask of you. She said, you got any kids? I said, no, ma'am. I have no kids. And she said, stay right there. Don't rush your life. Keep on going. So I said, okay, cool. I appreciate that. I received everything that she said. And the other women around us started, like, getting their stuff together to go. I was just like, all right, well, you know, thank you, Miss Catherine, for calling her Miss Catherine because I wasn't about to disrespect this woman. Um, but thank you, Miss Catherine, for 
you know, taking a moment of your time to, you know, pour into me. I really appreciate that. Even though in your head that may not have been much, but I do appreciate that. And she said, oh, anytime I can, you know, pour into a young lady, especially a black one, I will. And she hugged me and we went our separate ways. And I turned back around and I went to the table. I said, Miss Kathy, can I have your phone number? She said, yeah. And she pulled out her, her little phone. She said, put your number in there. I can't, I ain't too good at texting, but I'll try. And I said, well, you know what? If phone calls work best for you, then I'll give you a phone call. And she said, I would like that. And uh, she kissed me on my forehead and she tapped me on my hand. You know how older women do. She said, be sweet. Stay sweet. And handle your business. And I got chills down my, my all over my body because my uncle, Kayla's dad, he always said this, handle your business now. So it was, in that moment, very reassuring for me. Like, this is someone I want to be connected to. And again, this has happened a few weeks ago, guys. I'm getting chills right now, sharing it with you all. So I reached out to her. I called her about a week later. And she said, oh, you called me. And I said, yes, I did. I wanted to sit down with you and talk about some things and get your advice on a few things that I've been experiencing in life. And, um, you know, seeming that you've said that you've seen a lot of yourself in me, I, I just want to know how you would have handled those situations. And she said, all right, well, let me look at my calendar. And she starts looking, and I could hear shuffling around. And I could hear her um, her husband in the background, like, who are you on the phone with? And she's like, one of my girls, Just give me a minute. You always take care of somebody, kid. And i that's how I knew <laughs> that I was in a safe space. Because <laughs> if her husband is not, you always take care of somebody, kids. You always bring smart kids in this house. That's a, That type of woman is worth being around. So I was just smiling and waiting for her to come back. And she said, well, what day you had in mind? I said, whatever day you're free, I can make myself available. Most days I work until about 7 p.m. And she said, well, where you work? So I said, well, the next few days I'll be working out of White Plains. And she said, well, I live in Stanford. This is my address. And she gave it to me. And she said, you could uh, come here, leave your car outside, and, and I got somewhere for us to go. And we'll get the driver to take us. So I said, okay. And she said, wear your nice dress, like one that makes you feel comfortable and beautiful, like the sexy one. She said, we're not going to no club or nothing, but I want to look nice. I want you to look nice and feel good about yourself. She started saying, you know, similar to what you wore to the dinner, something like that. So it's okay. And I'm like, all right, I got three days to get myself a stellar outfit for this woman. And I ended up wearing these gold oversized paper bag shorts with a crop, a white crop button-up and some heels. And I arrived to Miss Catherine's house and she greeted me beautifully and her introduced me to her husband and her son. And her son is 36 years old and he is um what the hell is his position? Oh here it is. Her son is a coach for a private high school for um, children with special needs. So she was saying, you know, a lot of things that you share that you were doing, maybe my son could help you in, in other ways. And I was like, I love when I meet people and they be throwing my name in the room immediately like that. I was like, I love it here already. Come on, Auntie uh, Kathy. That's her name. And I already got an aunt named Kathy, but it is what it is. She could be replaced. But anyways, I was like, okay. This is great. Like this so far this woman has shown me that she is is down for the girl. Like she is loving me, I'm loving her and we're going to do what we got to do. So, like she said, the driver arrived. The driver happened to be her other son. And he gets out and he is driving the suburban. I love suburbans. And he opens the door and he's, you know, opens the door for us and he kisses his mom. And he's like, "Hi mom." And he helps her get in the car. And she's like, this is my new friend, Don. And uh, you're going to take us to the special place. And he just laughed. And he's like, 
nice to meet you, man. nice to meet you too. And he's a limousine driver. He has his own limousine company. Um, he doesn't live in Connecticut, but when his mom is requesting that she gets his services, he does what he needs to do. So we get in the car and he's like, Ma, the champagne in the seat, in the back of my seat. You can just pour up whenever you're ready. And she said, thank you. And she pours out the cup for me. And we have this grand experience in the back of this car, just walking each other through our days and, and everything. So we get to this building. And the building is just, it looks like, if you all are familiar with Stanford, you know how a lot of the apartment buildings in Stanford are all just that first floor where the leasing offices are. It's just a lot of glass. That's how this building looked. I actually still don't know the name of this building, but (laughs) it is what it is. So we walk into this beautiful building and um, the door, there's a doorman. The doorman opens the door and he's like, hi, Miss Catherine, how are you? She said, I'm good, how are you? And he said, well, come right on in. And she introduces me to the doorman and he's like, well, you're in good hands. If you didn't know that before, I'm letting you know that. Thank you. Appreciate that. He said, well, the two of you look lovely. That's Catherine. Enjoy your time. And we're walking through this beautiful building. The the lobby was beautiful. I couldn't really tell what type of building we were in. And um, we're just walking. The hallways were beautiful. There's like marble floors. There's beautiful paintings. There's beautiful crystals. And we finally get to this door. And it's a conference room so many people inside and she grabs my hand and she said follow me and I'm walking through this room and she sits down at one of the tables that are at the very front that had her name reserved there and my name I'm like what the hell meeting is and they're all going around talking you know introducing themselves and it seemed as if there were original members of this team and then there were people who all women, by the way, that were in this room. But it seemed like there was a... There were set members that were there. And then everyone had an extra guest. So, when it gets to Miss Catherine, she stands up and she's like... I'm Catherine. And I am the founder of this place. And I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> like, who am I sitting here with? Like, I had done some research on her. And knew that she was a force to be reckoned with. But the things that she was saying about herself in that meeting, I did not come across them. And she's just like, yep, this I, I'm the founder of this organization. And telling, you know, the mission statement of what was happening. And she goes, but before we get into today's meeting, I want to introduce you all to my special guest. And she's smiling and talking about me. And she's like, Nai, get up and tell these people who you are. And there was a woman who was sitting at the table across from us that was just like bright-faced and bright-eyed. Super, all the women that were in this building were older women, and all of their guests were, were younger women. And they were all, all of the older women were just very poised, and like, they had that beautiful silver-white hair. A lot of them were salt and pepper. Like, they were very, like, these were the aunties, y'all. And I start introducing myself and speaking to the woman. And the woman who was sitting across the way is just smiling. And she said, where'd you get her from? After I finished talking. And Catherine said, I met her at Danny's brunch. And I just couldn't get away from her. I love her so much. She's such a joy and a wonder. And uh, they go on with their meeting. I end up sitting with these women for about an hour and a half. And everyone was just talking about finding funding for their organizations a lot of women were sharing their stories and Catherine essentially brought me here to hear the different things that these women had endured in life and toward the end of the meeting she said well you all know that dinner is served for you upstairs go ahead and do what you have to do I will not be joining you all for dinner as I will be going to dinner with Naomi and they're like oh okay well you know you guys enjoy And as she's hugging the women and saying goodbye to them, the woman who was staring at me from across the way said, you remind me so much of Catherine when we were younger. 
your mannerisms, the way you speak, the way you hold your head up. She was like, that's why she wants to protect you. She was a powerhouse. And I'm like, thank you so much. It feels good to know that I'm in the right room. And she said, oh, yeah, you're in the right room. Uh, take my phone number and you could call me whenever you need anything. I, I, I have no problem with answering the phone for you. Any friend of Catherine is a friend of me. And that just really, it resonated with me, y'all. I felt so good. I felt like, oh my God, I finally found my village. And I finally found my village some time ago, but this was different. I found my village, y'all. And um, I said goodbye to the women and I was, you know, mingling with them as Catherine finished up. And when she finishes, she grabs my hand and she said, let's go. She said, you remind me of a little butterfly as we start walking toward the door to move out again. And she said, I want to show you the art room here. I said, okay. She goes back to explaining to me, you you just beautifully float in the rooms. And everyone's attention is on you. And then you do whatever it is that you have to do. And you mellow out. And you fly up. And you fly down. And you're just breathing in the wind. And then you leave. And all they have is a mere thought and a memory of how that butterfly made them feel. And they hope to experience like oh shit like you know i had some men tell me some things but ain't nobody ever said that to me like that so i was like jesus miss catherine you was buttering me up girl what's all this gonna cost me and she just kept smiling as she spoke to me and she was like pouring into me y'all and i will say this day for me it was, that particular day was a rough day at work um, I genuinely felt defeated, but I had to keep a smile on my face because I didn't know what to expect when I went with Miss Catherine. And I wanted the best out of whatever she was going to be talking to me about. And I had some questions for her that I knew I needed to be able to... I needed good energy to ask these questions to her. So, her son comes to the front of the building. And she did end up showing me the art room. And it was a beautiful art room. Friend comes. Her son comes up to the front of the building and he gets us in the truck again. Naomi, what do you think? And I was telling him, you know, my experience. And she's just sitting there with this smile on her face, like older women do. And I was just like, it was amazing. Thank you. And I asked her, I'm like, what is this building? And she said, that building belongs to my ex-husband. And uh, I would go in that building when he would be at work. And it was attached to the other side of his job. And she said, and... I wasn't sufficient to be without my husband because I had just depended on him that much. She said, but when I would go in that building, those women in that building would need me. These were women who were battered women. They had gotten abused. And she said, in that moment with working with those women, I knew that I was getting abused. And as my husband climbed the, the ladder in his career, he began to be the owner of that building. And, uh, he knew that it was a shelter. It was a women's shelter. And he never wanted to kick those women out of the building. But he didn't have the education to keep them in the building. And he was afraid that they would lose another sacred place for them. And that, you know, a shelter is not where someone comes to get comfortable. It's literally a moment for them to get back on their feet. And he didn't want to be the reason why. And she said, well, if we can't afford to get people to work in here and, and make food for these women I'll do it and that's where she had become and there was backlash with her husband she shared that with me with her ex-husband there was a lot of backlash about it um he didn't want her there helping those women he wanted her home with his children and he wanted her to do so much but she never had it in her to figure out who she was until she started working very closely with those women there so she said now for the rest of my life I've de- dedicated to those women but also the women who never experienced had you know who never had to experience being in a shelter and being that down and out I want to keep them above that level I want to talk to young girls like yourself and show them that you don't need a man to be successful your success comes from you and that as if you would like a husband that you should have one but he should not be forcing you to be unsuccessful so that he could be successful and have a power trip with it 
when she was sitting there, I was really like, damn, like a lot of the things that she hit on and when she was pouring into me are actually questions that I wanted her to have, like answer for me. So we pull up to Capital Grill. Now, if you guys know me, you know I love a good Capital Grill. And at Capital Grill is when I realized that Catherine didn't really ever have moments in life to, to just let her hair down. And when we got in there, the women were taking care of her. It was men, women and men. They were taking care of us, and she just was living. She was thriving. And she said, well, you said you wanted to talk to me about some things, so let's get our wine and dinner ordered, and then you've got my undivided attention. And I just was watching her in the moment, and she was so thankful and appreciative of people taking the time to take care of her. Although it was their job to serve her, she didn't want them to feel as though they were just slaves to her of some sort and she made it very obvious that she wanted to make sure that they didn't feel like slaves or that they were uh, owed a debt to her or something like that because the way she spoke to them and when they came over with you know it took them two minutes to bring a drink when it would normally take them six minutes she would be like oh my god this is impeccable service Sarah thank you for moving fast I appreciate that but it was never in a condescending way and that's what kind of like really got me to understanding exactly who this woman was so we ordered our food and we got our drinks and she said all right I'm an open book hit me what do you got what do you want to know and I started the questions and the first question I asked her was who are you and she looked at me a little taken aback and she said and what entity do you want me to answer that question and I said however you want me to know you that's how I want you to answer the question and she said we're gonna get another bottle of wine and she calls over the witches she says can you bring us a bottle of wine another one we're gonna need it and she sat back at the table and she said I am Obviously, I'm using an alias when I speak to her. And she says, I am Catherine. And Catherine used to be a gentle bunny rabbit. And I was like, a bunny rabbit? What the fuck? <laughs> Sometimes when people are comparing themselves to things, it really weirds me out. But I was just like, let me sit down and listen. And she said, I used to be the woman to cater to people without realizing that I was in bondage to them. That they felt like I needed to cater to them in every aspect of their lives. I did not know who I was for 35 years of my life. If you asked me what my favorite color was, I couldn't tell you because I had to wear what someone wanted me to wear. I was being groomed to be the perfect wife for the perfect man. I had no clue who I truly was. And today I can look at you at 62 years old and tell you that I am a powerhouse. I'm a business owner. I like to have fun and try new things. And I love to take risks. But most importantly, I just love to be me. And that's what she left me with for about five minutes. She said that and we just... Sipped on our wine. And I needed to take a moment in because I realized in her going back to who she used to be and telling me who she is now, I realized that she was hinting at something without hinting at it. You know, like she was walking on eggshells to tell me something without really saying it. So I asked her to talk about her career and she did. I asked her any career advice that she had for me and she gave me a bunch. Not only did she give me advice about what I was asking her about but she gave me names to people to talk to she gave me organizations to try to work with she gave me names of grants financial advisors therapists in the area this woman gave me the code right the code and at that point in time of the night I had no more questions for her and she said would you be open to answering some questions for me? And I said, certainly. Certainly I would. And she sat back and she said, well, who are you? 
And I was like, oh, fuck, I was not prepared to answer that question. And so I did. I explained to her who I am. I'm this amazing, loud woman with a passion for people that sometimes likes to be by herself. I love loud music, but a quiet neighborhood. I'm just really explaining to her who I am. And she said, wow, that was a very good answer. I wasn't expecting you to have a, such an in-depth answer about who you were. You're very aware of who you are as well. I said, yeah, I've had to be aware of myself for quite some time. And she starts asking other questions, mainly about my career, what it meant to be um, working at All Saints, why I chose All Saints where I see myself going next if I had any plans to be going somewhere next and I was just like okay cool let's uh see where this is going and she said do you plan on getting married anytime soon and I said no ma'am I I answered that quick no ma'am she said are you seeing someone I said no I'm not seeing she said, well, what would it take for you to see someone? And y'all, I lost it. Because I didn't know how to answer that question. And she said, well, think about your last relationship. Relationship. Not your last fling. Not your last sneaky link or anything. Your last relationship. And she said, what about that man worked? And I explained it to her. And she said, what about that man didn't work? And I explained it to her. She said, are you ready to hear about my failed marriage? And for a minute, I wasn't ready because I had thought that maybe her her, her first husband died or something. <laughs> like, And I didn't know where that would take her, but I just met her husband and he was amazing. He was very nice to me. And I said, uh, as much as you're willing to share. And at this point, we have finished the first bottle of wine, so we're starting to work on the second. And she said, uh, you said you're a podcaster, right? I said, yeah, yeah. She said, I want you to tell the story. I want you to tell the story right. And I asked her, similar to how I asked with the Help a Brother Out, Help a Sister Out episode, I said, do you want me to disclose of your name? And she said, no, the name doesn't matter. Because this is the story of several women. And I said, okay. And I said, well, referring to you, I'll refer to you as Catherine when I tell the story. And she said, take out your phone and record. Because I don't want you to write. I just want you to listen. And she began to tell me the story of her and her ex-husband. taking me back to her childhood and explaining she grew up in Alabama um, where the girls helped mom maintain the house and the men were either in the field and on the lucky chance that they had to go to school they went to school and she known her husband from living in the area and having to work in the fields with him when she had to work in the fields um and they liked each other they would talk about how they were going to escape the south with each other and come up north and as she was telling me this i'm like this kind of sounds similar to some of the things that my family have told me about their childhood particularly my grandparents um and she's just taking me down memory lane and she said all i ever knew of life was working the fields taking care of the household with mama and learning how to be a wife. She starts telling me how she didn't know what her menstrual cycle was and that once she turned 13, she was helping her mom deliver children and she was delivering her mother's children and her sister's children. and That's all she knew was to be a baby-making machine and maintaining the household. She was, she was emphasizing it on a lot. And that's how I knew 
the story that she was about to tell me was a story that I've heard before. And is, in fact, the story of many women. So, she tells me at the age of 13, she's helping her mom with these children. And her mother is telling her, like, it's almost time for you to start having your own kids yourself. And she's like, I'm 13. Like, what the hell do you mean by that? And I couldn't imagine being 13 and my mom saying that to me. She's like, yeah. So, as time went on, we'll refer to her husband as Tony. Ex-husband. You know, they started liking each other. They started smelling their musk. And they started doing things with each other. Obviously having sex. Um, And it just was like, natural for her like they then got married at a very young age of 18 and by the time she was 19 she was pregnant and this is what she had known life to be women get married at a young age and they start having families she was late in comparison to some of her other siblings but she was in fact 18 turning 19 having a child her husband came home one day and said he had an opportunity to move to New Jersey. And they uprooted themselves and they went to New Jersey. When they got to New Jersey, all she did was take care of that child and take care of that household. She didn't work. And as she went out into the neighborhoods and tried to, you know, go to the market and get things, that was the lifestyle of a lot of the women there. And then her husband lost his job. She was now 24, with three kids, and the family had no income, which means that food supply was going to start getting short. And her husband made it very clear, like, we cannot go back to Alabama. We got to make it work. So I'm going to go and work these odds and end jobs, and you want to continue to take care of the family. Ain't none of that changing. You don't have, you don't have a say in how we're going to figure this out. All you have to do is maintain the household. And that's what she was used to. Like, why would I have to help you figure out how we're going to get money? I've never had to figure it out before. I'm not going to start now. And she started going to these classes for mothers that were near her. And you'd be able to come and bring your kids and your kid went and played. And, you know, her other two kids were in school. But that youngest child that she had at the time wouldn't played with the other kids. And the mothers talked and they drank tea and they shared recipes and things like that and then one day there was a new woman who joined the group and she was asking the women like what do they do and the women were like we're all wives we're literally housewives and the woman was like you don't work how do you feed your families our husbands and it kind of the way she was describing it was kind of similar If you've ever watched Good Times, think of the family with Good Times. Florida didn't work. She stayed home and took care of that family, and James figured it out. And this woman that came in, she said, I work at a boutique. And we're hiring. I can get some of you jobs. And a lot of women said no because their husbands would be upset. But Miss Catherine was open to it. And she said, well, who would watch my child? And she said, oh, I've got a nanny to take care of my child while I go to work. You should look into one. She knew she couldn't afford it. And if she brought that to her husband, that would, in fact, piss him off. So what she did was went down there and applied. And she applied and told the people that she had a sister who was coming to New Jersey. So... Would he be able to give the sister a job? And the man at the place said, yeah. As long as she can work the designated time. So she said, well, I can work the early morning shift. And my sister can watch the children. And she can work the night shift. And I can watch the children. And the man said, okay, cool. Now, what what she described this store to me as, and the image that I got in my head that she'd be working at, It wasn't actually a boutique. It sounded more or less like Sears or Macy's or JCPenney or something like that. 
but not as big of a corporation as the two. So that's what they did. Her sister ended up coming and joining the family. And that's what they did. She never told her husband in the beginning what she was doing because she was home by the time he would get home and he had no clue. But they began to have groceries, more groceries than they normally would, and it just didn't make any sense. Now, the husband obviously had an issue with Catherine going and working because that was his wife. He didn't really have an issue with the sister because she was staying in their house, and she clearly needed to pay her way. And one day, Catherine decided she was going to tell her husband what was happening. And she did that. And at this point, Catherine was 25 years old with three kids and she was pregnant. And she thought to herself, we can't even afford the three kids that we have and we're having a fourth one. I can't get an abortion. I have to have this kid. And my husband's going to be pissed when he finds out. So we're going to have to figure something out and she told her husband and he was not Tony wasn't happy he didn't want his woman working a woman needed to be in the kitchen and taking care of the children and he kept telling her well you do what you want to do as time went on she had their fourth child and they were done having children because they had gotten in a really tough financial spot um Tony had started drinking because he couldn't find any work. So the money that Catherine and her sister were getting ended up being the money that took care of the household. And one day Catherine's sister said, why don't you leave Tony? And she said, leave him and do what? And the sister said, well, you're working. If we put our money together, we can take care of the kids, which is what we're doing. This man is just drinking and beating up on you. And that shouldn't be the case. And Catherine got angry with her sister because she had accused her husband of hitting her. And as much as it was true, that wasn't her sister's place. A few weeks later, her sister had the same conversation with her again. Catherine went back to that women's group that she had was, you know, started visiting and sitting down with, where she had met the woman who gave it, who helped her get the job. And a lot of those women had the same attitude. And the bold woman who told them to get a job in the first place came in. And she said, well, if your husband's putting his hands on you, leave him or fight back. Catherine knew she couldn't fight back. And this wasn't the first time she was hearing the advice to leave her husband. So she began to seek counsel on how to go about something like that. And she talked to her husband and beginning and she told him you know if you keep putting your hands on me I'm gonna leave you and he started to say things like you think you're somebody now that you went and got that job you got those white people filling your head up thinking that you could be somebody you ain't nobody I made you who you were and in fact he didn't make her anybody but a mother and a wife but to him that was the biggest thing that a woman could be said after a few more years of tussling with herself getting beat and watching her husband become a horrible alcoholic she finally took the advice and she saved up her money with her sister and they found themselves a place in Stanford, Connecticut and they moved she was able to secure herself a really good job better than what she had and the job was in a nursing home working in the kitchen bringing home much more money than what she was getting from the store her sister was able to get a job there too they were able to continue and the sister had no children but they were able to work this job in the manner in which they worked it before where one would take care of the kids during the day and the other would at night and they worked themselves up and Catherine's sister was the first one to go and get her high school diploma and at 30 years old How do you go back and get yourself a diploma? That's what Catherine was thinking. I've got nothing before children that I'm struggling to provide for. A marriage that went left field. And I left the only thing that I knew 
to try to come out and be bold and do something with myself. And I don't even know where to begin. She started to feel like a failure. She started feeling like, I've done all this for nothing. I left that man. And life is still hitting on me. She found a new support group. And she ran into her husband at the support group. Now, remember in the beginning of this episode, I tell you guys that she brought me to this building that her husband had, her ex-husband had owned, and she begged him not to uh, give the building up or to throw it down the drain because the women in that community needed it. Her husband was working on the construction of that building, and he had lucked up and got into some money and got himself a new job and he was really cool with the owners of the building and the owners of the building had promised him ownership of some sort of entity of the company if he continued to do what they were telling him to do and make the goals that he was making and she didn't really go into details about what it was that he did but he essentially was the owner of the entire building by the time Catherine was 35 She'd begin to be successful with working at the home that she was working at and visiting this building that she was visiting. And, you know, it was women who were there who were working women who understood what it was to be a working woman. Some of them were divorced. Some of them were still battered and stuck in their marriages. And some of them were just young mothers who didn't have anybody. She found a community in those women. But she realized that she had divorced her husband met up with him again and started a new chapter of life but he's no longer her husband anymore but she was still stuck owing him a debt she still was taking care of him she continued to do the work that she needed to do at this point she had also gotten her high school diploma and her sister had landed herself a really good job after she sister completed college at this point and she had just gotten her high school diploma and it was time for her to get into college. She went to a local community college in Norwalk. And she just made something of herself. But she still felt like she was owing her ex-husband a debt. That she was still having to ask him for permission for things. And she said to herself, why am I asking this man for permission for things and I'm not even married to him? And the shelter that she was working at was about to close. Well, visiting. They were about to close. Um, they started losing funding. They couldn't pay the rent. Wasn't enough money coming in. And her husband, in fact, didn't have what it took to keep this open. And she said, well, what if I go in there and I start cleaning it? He didn't know me. And her ex-husband said, well, if that's what you want to do and you think you can make us money, then let's do it. But if not, I'm going to sell this to the highest bidder. She went to her sister and she said, you've got this business degree. Help me. I'm trying to get my business degree. And I'm going to ask those people at that school to help me too. She started putting herself out there. And doing all that helped her become the bold woman that she is today. And in putting herself out there, she listened to many people's stories. And a lot of them were the same. That they were groomed to be mothers and wives to adhere to whatever it was that the husband wanted and she knew that she had to stop that narrative with girls so that's why she spent so much time at the community center with those women it got to a point where she started bringing her children so other women would come and pour to these women and bring their children and they were bringing food and after a while it just maintained itself and uh she asked her husband if she can buy the property and he said you can never you're not smart enough to do this. I'm going to give you this and you're going to fail. And you're going to come right back running to me the same way you did when we got divorced. And she was furious because how dare you throw it up in my face that we crossed paths out of faith. We crossed paths out of faith. And you're making it seem like I came back begging for you. And that was the last time she was going to let anyone play her in her face. And she said, this man underestimated me. So I had to embarrass him. Those weren't her exact words. Those were more so mine. Me giving you a summary of what she said. But when someone tries to underestimate me, 
I have to abandon you. I have to make you put your foot in your mouth. And that's the mindset that Catherine had. She wanted to see her husband's jaw drop. And not because he was getting pleased in a sexual manner, but because she had clearly and truly blew his mind by making something happen. And after years of trying to get herself together and still being out of uh, woman out of the south who didn't really have anything and she came up here and got something. She was maintaining what she had. And she stumbled upon the amazing man that she's married to now. And he said, well, what do you do for a living? And she explained it. He said, what are you doing in your free time? And she explained it. And he said, so you don't do anything for yourself? She said, no, well, between working and taking care of my kids and being at this women's shelter, a community women's shelter, I don't have much time to do anything. And he said, well, what can I do to help you get some time for yourself? She had never heard that before. She thought that what she was doing and trying to maintain was normal. That this is how the CEOs do it. Taking a moment for herself was selfish. It was something that was unheard of for women at that time. Because we needed to make sure that the household was taken care of and that my husband was not angry when he came home to put his hands on me. And because she had gotten herself out, she was doing everything in her power to make sure that no woman ever experienced anything like that again. Especially if it was a woman that she came in contact with. And her husband said, well, I know a couple of guys and I work in finances and let's see what we can do. And this is before this man became her husband, but... He, uh, he helped her out. And they were able to get that community center together. And for me, I thought at this point in the story, she's going to say, like, this man just... She didn't tell me that it was her husband, but she's like, yeah, that man helped me get that community center. And he forced me to get myself together. And I asked her, what do you mean that he forced you to get myself together? And she said, well, when I would call him and say, hey, honey, I've got... About 30 minutes I can spare before the kids come home and I have to take care of them. You want to stop by and have a cup of coffee with me? He would say, no, have a cup of coffee with yourself. You deserve this peace and quiet. In the beginning, she said, well, this man seemed like a man who actually liked me. and He don't ever want to spend any time with me. And after a while, they weren't going on any of those lunches that they were going on when it was all business. She said, maybe I jumped the gun. Maybe this is someone who's just supposed to be a business partner of mine and I took it as something romantic. Start to beat herself up about it. And then one day she asked him, we'll call her new husband, Curtis. She said, Curtis, how do you feel about me? And he told her, I think you're a marvelous woman, but I think you got yourself too wrapped up in what everybody else is doing and you don't realize what you're doing and where you're capable. And she was offended. She had thought she had to figure it all out. But she was making the right move for herself. But Curtis came back and let her know. No, you're not, ma'am. No, you're not. And he said, I had a failed marriage before. And she said, well, so have I. He said, I want to be with a woman who knows how to take care of herself. And not just when it comes to the financial being of it and making your own self dinner. But I want you to have a real plan for yourself. Because my ex-wife was so dependent on me that it took her years to get herself together before she could move on to someone else. And immediately, Catherine knew that that was exactly what had happened with her. And she shared that with him. And he said, so I need you to just figure out what you want to do. You've got your degree now. You're almost 40 and she said well, I have four children with my ex-husband and he said and I don't have any kids my, my ex-wife couldn't have kids so it wouldn't mean the world to me to be able to meet your children but we can't do those things until you get yourself together and she did and she didn't get herself together because she wanted to be with Curtis she got herself together because she realized this man knows what it's like to deal with the old type of woman that Catherine was. That this image that he has of who he moves forward with next, it has to be it. But the things that he was saying, take a moment for yourself, figure yourself out, sit down and make some goals. Those were things that Catherine really needed to do for herself. 
And she had no reason to do it before. And now that she has this reason to do it, she was elated. She didn't know what to do. So she did all that. And one day, Curtis said, would you like to go out to dinner, honey? And she said, sure, she would. So her sister watched her kids. She went to dinner with Curtis, and it was a magical afternoon. And she had done this with Curtis for a very long time before they had even he made one sexual advance in her. It was all great conversation and him supporting her for the woman that she had become. Celebrating those small wins with her when she would pass an exam, when she would pass inspection on the building. And she wasn't at this point an owner of the community center for the women, but she was a very big role. She played a very big role in what they had become. And he would celebrate all those things with her. And one night, he asked her, he said, what advice do you give the women at the shelter? And she said, well, of course, leading by example, I share with them what I've gone through. And I tell them how, what tactics I took to get out of that situation. But more importantly, I give them the advice that you give me. And he said the advice that I gave you. And she said, yeah. When you told me that you didn't want a woman that was going to be dependent on you, who didn't know what to do if you left, I took that and I applied it to my life and I became that woman. And he was like, yeah, you did. And I'm proud of you. And she said, well, I just tell them that. And now I can show them how to do that because I've been doing it for the simple things that sitting in a, a quiet house while those children are at school and enjoying coffee and my show. And even the moments of just sitting in bed because I don't have to work while they're in school, it really just satisfies me. And I go and try new things. And I'm, I'm full. I'm satisfied. And he said, well, I'm glad I could do those things for you and I could help you in that manner. He continued, well, what are your plans for your life? Are you going to stay in Stanford? at this point she had said to herself I like this man damn near love him but we'll see what happens and she went home to her sister and she shared the afternoon with her sister the sister her sister said that's a good man he's leading you in the right direction and you should follow him so she softened up her heart some and she continued to see Curtis and one day at the community center they had an event he popped up to support her like he always does and he proposed to her in front of those women that's when I got a little teary eyed but she said when he proposed to her he made it very clear that he was proud of the things that she was able to do for herself and one thing that he wants her to know is that it's not always what you can do for me but what I can do for you because you take care of your family so well expressed his love for her and she said that was totally opposite of what she was experiencing in Alabama. Her dad and her mom didn't have that type of relationship. This was her first healthy relationship that she had experienced in any aspect of a healthy relationship because a lot of what she was doing was giving people her sister's advice and telling her sisters to run. Leave that man alone. He's just going to beat on you and drink some more. That's all that she was. Those were the relationships that she was used to having. So this was an experience for her. And later that year, they got married. And they have been married for 26 years. They got married December 18th of 1997. And um, she said that's a decision that she made. And that's why she wanted to continue to make sure that women are making the right decisions. Since then, she has been able to completely buy out the community center. And the women who were able to help save the center are all owners of it. And that is why she holds the events that they have. Because a lot of times, for women, the first fancy event that they go to are weddings. And she wanted to teach these women etiquette. She wanted them to know the difference between a champagne glass and a wine glass. She wanted them to understand what it meant for them to 
go back to school and secure themselves an education to make something of themselves for themselves, not just to be the provider of a family. And that's why she does what she does. And I said, well, you didn't give me any advice in this story. She said the whole story was advice. And I smiled and I just let it go. And she said, here's the advice. Before you can commit to anyone else, you have to commit to yourself. You have to commit to your passions. You have to commit to your dreams. You just have to commit to you. And I was like, I get that every day. But having the story attached to it, it just hit me a little bit different. And she said, and when you find yourself dating someone, loving someone, that person should want you to push yourself hard for you, not for them. When they show up and celebrate those small wins, it needs to be just as big and amplified as the way they celebrate your big wins. The $500 success is just as much as the $500,000 success. But it's all about what you're putting into it. She said, you're a woman who you've learned from other people's mistakes. I can tell based off of how you speak to me about things and things that you're trying to avoid. They're not things that you've actually experienced, but it's other people's experiences. And I explained to her that she was right. That I've seen the things that my mom and my grandmother have gone through and I don't want to have to go through some of that. Some things are hard to avoid, but the things that I can control, I don't want to go through it. I want the education on how I should be running my businesses and how I should be filtering money through different things. I, I explained all that to her and she said, get you a man who's comfortable with you being with you. When she said that, I was like, oh, okay, that's similar to this first piece of advice that you gave me. Still impactful, but similar to that advice. And she said, what I mean by that is a man that wants you to be your highest self and he's willing to pour into that. He's not going to be intimidated by the things that you get that he probably can't get. He just wants you to be so successful. That's all he wants from you is that success and that happiness. Whatever the highest happiness is that you want, he wants that for you. He wants to know what you can, what he can do for you, not what you can do for him. That's the partner that you want. You want the partner that's going to sit there and shift through the long paperwork to help you get where you need to be. Not because he wants a cut, but because he just wants you to move forward. I'm like, girl... And she said, before I could part my my mouth to ask this follow-up question that I had, she said, the issue with my generation is that sometimes we're scared to give you this advice because we know that it's right. And it means that there are still men out here that just want you to have their babies and take care of their household. And because we've progressed so much as a society, you would think that that narrowed out, but it didn't. And our generation is responsible for letting you all down. We've let this go for so long that we had to stand on your backs to amplify that a woman needs to leave when she's not appreciated. And she just kept taking accountability for the things that her generation did not do. And she explained to me that you, Naomi, have the power to help bring so many women to their highest success. You have. I got a little emotional, I'm not gonna lie to y'all. I've been emotional a lot lately, y'all. But she told me these things. She said, you have the power to do it. And you have to keep holding our generation accountable because we didn't teach you what it was to have a successful marriage. You guys are figuring it out on your own. You're going and you're starting your own businesses from nothing and you're making it multi-million dollar companies you're doing the damn thing but I need you to take the story of many women and put an end to it we just kept going on and on 
she just said, I apologize on behalf of my generation. Because we made you guys feel like you couldn't start over with a new marriage because it was a sin. She's right. She said so much. She just kept going. And I wish I could say everything that she said to you all. But she just took responsibility for the lack of things that we didn't know. She said when a relationship or something isn't working, it's okay to leave. I left. And I restarted and I came out on top. And that was the most powerful move that I could make. But I had to get there for myself. Because the generation ahead of me didn't teach me. And she said she speaks it loudly and proudly. And when she was speaking to me, I will say she was very loud and proud about every aspect of the story. Every piece of advice that she gave me. And I wanted to take the time and share with you all her story. Because, well, the story of many women... This still happens today. There are a lot of men who don't want to date women because they make more money than them. There are a lot of men who still feel as though a woman should be in the kitchen, cooking, in the basement, washing clothes, and preparing a home for him instead of being equally in the field the way that he is. And it did my heart some joy to hear someone from the older generation take accountability for that. She took accountability for us not understanding mental health and the use of therapy. The lack of practicing self-care, of enjoying your own self in your own space and doing exactly what it is you want to do. For not being able to say, doing nothing today is absolutely fine. She felt as though because of the life that they had lived and that doing nothing was so unfamiliar that you have to be doing something. And I wanted to share that with you all today. It may be a little heavy for some of you. But I wanted to share that with you. I hope that this episode helps you in some way, shape, or form. And maybe one day when Miss Catherine is ready to talk, she'll talk. But until then, Please take the words that flew out of my mouth today on behalf of her and go with it.